Welcome back, listeners, to part two of our snack and chat conversation with Al Zucker, in-house counsel at Heroes. If you missed the first part, we recommend you go back and take a listen, as in that episode, you'll get more background about Al's move into an in-house role and how the Heroes business goes about its acquisitions. If you are continuing on from part one, we next asked Al about whether he preferred an asset or a share deal when acquiring businesses. Here's what he had to say. So there's a law school answer and and there's the hero's answer and they're not the same. So when I was at law school, everybody said, do share deals all day long. They're quick and easy. You're buying one asset. It's clean. Mm -hmm. At Heroes, I want to buy assets all day long. Mm. Share deals create a whole load of administrative and tax pain later Mm -hmm. that we would rather not have. Now, we do do them, and we do them happily with particularly UK sellers at the right price. But if it were up to me, I'd never do a share deal again at Heroes, if I'm honest. They're too painful after the event. I guess for the uh, listeners, we should get a bit more technical. Are you suggesting because the share deal, you know, you're acquiring the liabilities along with the assets? And you know, there could be some skeletons in the closet there that you so weren't aware of. of. That's part of it. And we have unfortunately had occasions where those skeletons have been uncovered. Mercifully, not big ones, but they they do come out. It's more about how you then fold the business into your existing one, because essentially you have to get the business out of the company, which which you buy, and into the place in our business that we wanted. And essentially that means we end up doing two deals. Uh, You know, we do a deal, if you like, on the front end, opposite the seller, where we buy a company, but we don't want to have a situation where we have dozens and dozens and dozens of independent operating subsidiaries. Right. It's administratively difficult. So what we then have to do is, if you imagine, kind of like fillet yeah. these companies that we buy and place them in the right part of our corporate group. And so there's a whole second transaction that happens kind of post-closing mm. to do that. And it comes with operational headaches in Amazon as well because you've got to move physical stock around in a mm. way that you don't have to on a, on necessarily on an asset deal because of the peculiarities of the Amazon ecosystem. And so if I can not take a company, so much the better. And you know what you're buying. You know, we often see that with clients where they're with an asset deal. That seems to be the, the, the repeat question. Like, do you know what you're buying? And often it's just a schedule at the back of the agreement where somebody needs to populate what's actually being bought and you know so that's nice to hear sometimes you kind of have to say well like do you know where the assets are you actually have to go and physically get them you know there's only so much I can draft into an agreement you actually have to go and get what you've bought absolutely let's assume we're we're, we're doing an asset deal or actually on, on, on any of the deals can you tell us without giving away too many secrets what terms do you find are often most heavily negotiated and and why what is it what does the seller care about Money. It's all about the money. <laughs> That's the only thing the sellers really care about. The lawyers care about lots of other things, but the, mm-hmm. the, the sellers are really interested in Fair what off. they're getting paid Just... and when they're getting paid it and how it's calculated. And that, sure. that's where the, 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 the heat is. Because what we find is the term sheets we, we draft, I think, are pretty good, but they are also very short. Mm. So there's a lot. there's a lot that's not there, right? And then suddenly you turn up with even the shortest 
contract that we would serve up is, you know, maybe 25 pages long. And suddenly there's a whole load of detail where that money is not necessarily quite as it appears in the sort of one liner that was in the, the, you know, bold in the front of the term sheet. And that's where the conversations can get not heated, but intense, you know, as people really scrutinize it. That's fair enough. I mean, the sellers, they sell products and they make money from it. And if they're all of a sudden being presented with a huge contract, then it needs a bit of explaining. Yeah. No, I think you're right, Al. It's, uh, we get, we get uh, a lot of Jerry Maguire's, you know, show me the money. So that sounds, <laughs> sounds, sounds, sounds about right with them as well. So I know we t- touched on this earlier, but when we spoke, you know, you, you made the move during, during the COVID uh, crisis. Uh, from from being private practice into heroes, but of course heroes is in uh, is in a good space with with COVID acquiring Amazon sale businesses. Looking into your crystal ball now, where where do you see e-commerce and the M and A market in the next twelve or so months as the world comes out of uh, lockdown and and potentially back into the uh, high street or physical uh, stores? I think for for my perspective, e-commerce isn't going anywhere. You know the most sort of fundamental level lots of people have got used to just logging onto their amazon app and hitting buy it now and have a yoga mat or a computer cable or whatever it is like turn up at their door Mm. you know the following day and i think that convenience people people will still want post pandemic and probably will still pay the sort of slight premium that you you pay for amazon prime to get that said i do think people are going back to the high street it'd be interesting to see how that affects pricing in the in the in the FBA market in particular, because I think probably the best time to sell your business was about two months ago, where you'd have got the whole benefit of COVID, and you wouldn't have had the disbenefit of the you know coming out of it, as people do start spending that discretionary money on services and leisure and retail and less on stuff. Mm. So it's it's going to be really interesting to see how that develops as we kind of go through into Q3, Q4 of this year. That said, you know, if you look more generally at the, the, the you know, the private capital markets and the M&A space generally, I mean, I'm obviously not in it in the same way I was six months ago, but I'm still in touch with people and I'm reading the reports by people like Bain and Co. It seems that there's a lot of appetite out there to buy things. And that's not a surprise in my view, because these moments of big change, are moments of opportunity. There are winners and losers. And so people will be out there looking for looking for ways to either defend against those changes or, or, or opportunistically kind of benefit from it. From what we're hearing from our investors and the sort of broader VC tech investor community out there in, in London and beyond is that things are very much open for business. There's a lot of appetite for, for tech firms and for young businesses in general because you know, recessions are great times to start businesses. And so people are looking for that next big thing. What tips would you have for sellers who are interested in selling their business and not just FBA sellers, but also uh, I'm sure you've been on buy and sell side in, in your previous M&A life. What would be some tips you would give to, to someone, an entrepreneur who's looking to sell their business? Don't underestimate how much work is involved. I think (laughs) I think people I think people assume that there's a term sheet, and I'm not talking actually just about the the process of doing the deal. I'm talking about before, right? Mm. You have to be organised because 
people are going to do diligence. If someone's going to pay a full multiple for your business and you're going to exit at a price you're happy with, expect scrutiny and be prepared for that. And if you can, I know we're all busy and we've all got businesses to you know administer, but get organized because you are going to be asked a lot of questions and it sucks to sit there at two in the morning around your day job answering them. Uh, I know how that feels because you know we do it in the context of our own fundraising. We're trying to run, we're trying to run a business and raise at the same time sometimes, and mm. something ends up happening at ten o'clock at night. Mm. Um, so if you can get organised, do so, and also be prepared to kind of be candid. People want to see what what's there, what's and all. Certainly, from my experience on the buy side, more as a general counsel than as a former M and A attorney is. We're more interested in just seeing the stuff and working out like how we course correct as much as we are looking for deal breakers. Mm-hmm. If we find them, and we do find them sometimes, you, you, we will pull deals. But really what we're interested in is understanding what's going right, what's going wrong, because actually it's, and what's going wrong is the, is the way you can improve the business and add value as the buyer. So don't, don't be afraid of the inefficiencies would be something else I would recommend. And finally, you're unlikely to do it alone. You are going to need a team. So find people internally within your organization, externally, and frankly, probably like a friendly ear at home to grouse at because it does get stressful. Just make sure you're surrounded by people who are ready, willing, and able to help because otherwise you will drive yourself cuckoo. What about lawyers looking to take the plunge into in-house? What tips would you have for them? So for me, and I, I, I think this is a very personal question in the, in the sense that like it will be different for everybody. Mm. But for me, what I was interested in was finding something that I was passionate about because I sort of sat there and thought, right, if I move from a world where I have lots of clients to a world where I essentially have one, I better, I better be pretty sure I like the project, I like the product. Mm. because if I'm not interested in it and that's all I'm going to be looking at all day, that's going to be pretty hard to find motivating. And frankly, Heroes for me was, was just what I was looking for. Young, fresh, slightly bonkers, high growth, doing deals of the tangible products. And for me, that was just super exciting. The other thing to say is go into it with your eyes open. It is not a cop-out. That certainly in the city, and I hate this, there is a feeling that if you go and join an in-house team, you somehow tapped out, that like you somehow decided that you can't, you're, you're either not smart enough or not a good enough lawyer or too lazy or whatever. Like none of that is true. It's just a, it's just a different environment and it is a, it's no easier. It's no, no more difficult. I work no less hard here than I did at my last big US law firm. The difference is that every time I, I deliver something, I take the business forward as opposed to just moving towards a completion day and then on. And so for me, that's a, that's a really positive change. And finally, I'd say you've got to change your mindset. You know, we talked earlier about risk and Mm -hmm. uncertainty and kind of inevitably planning wrongly for a future because you don't have information available. That's a huge change. And one you have to kind of see coming because it is the big difference in my view. Wise words, mm-hmm. um, and I think a, a really good wise words to, to, to finish on the podcast, but just before 
we finish, Al, we always do what's called a rapid fire round. So you will have 60 seconds to answer as many questions as you can in that time. So just say the right. first thing that, that comes to mind. So, Al, in one word or phrase only. On your mark, get set. What was your first job? Camp counselor. What advice would you give your 10-year-old self? Get more sleep. <laughs> if you were having a dinner party and could invite three guests, alive, dead, or fictional, who would you invite and why? My three late grandparents. Family's everything. Apple or Android? Apple. Favourite movie? Citizen Kane. Best piece of advice you have received? Don't be a lawyer. And finally, if you were down to your last $10, pounds, whatever currency you like, where would you invest it? Hero. Unlike my founder, <laughs> who invested it in Amazon. We purposely put that question <laughs> Al, thank you so much for your time and participating in MBM's M&A Snack and Chat podcast. Thank you for having me. It has been an absolute pleasure, as ever. So that's it for today. Thank you for joining us in our chat with Al Zucker, General Counsel at Heroes. Join us next time when Caroline and I will be joined by another special guest where we will chat and snack all things M&A. Goodbye, all. Goodbye.